Welcome to Views from the World Tree. This week, we don our druid robes, strap shed antlers to our heads, and dance around the fire to become one with the nature spirits. And now, on with the show. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, mental image uh, that I cannot get out of my head now. <laughs> my sincere apologies for that. <clears throat> oh, yes. I see. Good news, everyone. Um, I guess I'll start out with news. Um, this week, I haven't really been reading much. Um, so I competed in my first Highland Games uh, event over the weekend. And I have some strained tendons in my foot. So I've been sitting on the couch reading the back of pill bottles, CBD oil, um, different like physical therapy devices and all of that. So I've just been kind of sitting and nursing that, which I don't know if you've ever tried to like read something seriously when you're in a lot of pain, but uh, your mind wanders a lot. So I haven't really been able to retain <laughs> anything that I've been reading. Yeah, I believe it. I've not had to try and do that uh, in pain, but with my, uh, my battle with COVID a couple of weeks ago, that was really fun trying to like, you know, work and write technical documentation and stuff with the the brain fog but i guess i can kind of sympathize a bit yeah uh covid brain is just as hard as like pain brain it, in my opinion i don't know but um yeah uh, as far as watching uh we mentioned it last week but the eurovision song contest was going on this last week and so on monday my wife and i sat and we watched the four hour finale it was campy it was fun it was exciting the music was pretty good the fans were pretty good like any major international song competition there was controversy which kind of makes it fun makes it fun i should say uh, biggest takeaway, uh, Ukraine won. And nice. as much as I would like to say it, that, no, I'm not going to say I would like to. I feel like a lot of people are going to say, oh, it was a mercy vote. It was a mercy vote. They got the popular vote because of what's going on. Their song was actually really flipping catchy. Um, It was a rap song with traditional Ukrainian um, instruments. So it had... Uh, their their long wind flute it had a stand-up bass it was just fun production value was over the top and the the low parts uh, where the singers weren't singing or rapping in this instance they had a break dancer so it felt like I was like watching something from the late 80s early 90s mixed <laughs> with like modern day stuff so definitely worth seeing uh, in my opinion and if you YouTube Eurovision 22 uh, so go to YouTube, enter Eurovision 2022 in the search bar. Uh, you can find most of the songs. Um, personally, I like Ukraine. I like Serbia, Estonia, Norway, and Spain are definitely worth watching. There's a lot of earworms out there, so be prepared. You'll be like humming <laughs> songs that may not necessarily be in English for like days to come. 
Nice. So yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Um, and then as far as news with me not really being out and kind of sharing what I did over the weekend, um, did you see the news coming out of Spain with uh, women's health? Um, I did not. No. So basically, the health system in Spain has reworked itself and revamped itself to protect women's health. So um, if a woman is uh, suffering from like extreme menstrual cramping, she's allowed uh, like to leave work for up to three days out of the month. Um, any woman that's over the age of 16 is now allowed access to abortion without parental consent. Um, they're doing something that hasn't been done anywhere. They're allowing pre-maternity pre-maternity leave now. So from the 39th week of pregnancy, about the time when a woman should be like preparing for birth, um, that's when they allow maternity leave to start. So not after the birth, they actually give them a couple weeks pre-birth. Um, adding education to combat rape and uh, to emphasize consent and um, free access to contraceptives uh, covered by the National Insurance of Spain. And I I put this in because I don't know, we've kind of joked about Spain and some of their customs with their, their weird holiday season customs and whatnot, but they are a very devoutly Catholic nation for the most part. And for them to like pilot one of the most comprehensive women's health programs that I've ever heard of, I think is phenomenal and kind of cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And yeah, like you said, it's kind of unexpected to come out of Spain, but you know, good for them. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Kind of cool. Wanted to share it. Um, Another opportunity for any of our listeners here in Colorado, there is a neighborhood community festival coming up on June 4th in Thornton, Colorado, which is a suburb of North Denver. I will be there with some of the uh, fellow Scottish athletes doing a demonstration and a skills clinic for people that want to come out and try the uh, Highland game. So you don't need a kilt. You don't need any experience. Come watch some some folks throw cabers, throw stones, throw all that stuff, and then have your chance to try it yourself. So June 4th, Thornton Fest, um, 10 a.m. We'll see you there. Nice. <clears throat> Sounds like a good time. Um, for my news this week, uh, as far as reading, still making my way through Project Hail Mary uh, by Andy Weir. It's Still very entertaining. It's a great book. Really enjoying that. Um, as far as watching, I'm going to cheat a little bit and actually, because um, I, I haven't really been watching anything, but I discovered a new game on Steam. It's called Timberborn. And it, it popped up on my suggested queue. It's in early access still. Um, but something about like the art style and everything just kind of piqued my attention. So I, I did pick it up and I have had the hardest time putting it down. Like it is so addictive. 
Um, so the premise is that mankind has turned the earth into a dry wasteland. All the humans are dead, uh, but some species were able to adapt and evolve. And this one is, um, it focuses on beavers. It posits that beavers are the, the ones to inherit the earth, so to speak. So uh, you pick a beaver faction and you build a colony and see how long you can last. And it like, I was watching the little video trailer things that they have. I read the synopsis. I was like, Oh, this seems, you know, like a nice, fun, little, uh, relaxing game, which it is, but I had no idea how in depth this was. Um, They've been working on it since 2018, and they did have a little bit of slowdown because of the pandemic, but they're back actively developing it now. And it's just, it's crazy, the uh, amount of stuff that is that they've put in here. It's basically a, like a city building, um, kind of like SimCity meets Civilization, meets starcraft i guess there's an aspect of like real-time strategy to it um, you're trying to build things and gather resources before the dry season comes and the river dries up so you have to make sure you have dams built and water stored away um, you can progress your beaver society to the point that you can do like water wheels and teach them how to go mine resources and you can start to build like industrial type stuff. So it's, it's really cool. Like I would definitely recommend picking it up. I was just looking at it as you were talking about it. Like it's popped up on my discovery queue a couple of times and I usually just skip it. But after hearing you talk about it and actually looking at it, it looks phenomenal. I might have to try it out. There's there's a couple things about it that, for me, set it apart from your typical city builder resource survival type thing. Um, it has a concept of vertical architecture. So the the geographic space is really limited because you really have to stay like close to the water sources you go too far away, there's not any resources, you're not going to survive. And so you are building, like your, your buildings and everything stack, um, and you have to research different technologies to be able to stack buildings on top of each other, build platforms and ramps and stuff like that, which kind of is fun to have to like flip it on its head and build up instead of just building out. Um, and then the other really cool thing is um, when you're building your city, it has a concept of districts. So the different buildings and workers, farms, whatever, they all have to be within a certain distance of the district center. And even stacking buildings and things, you're going to run out of space. And so it really encourages you to think about kind of city design in general and how you can have like a lumber district where you cultivate forests and you have like sawmills and lumber mills and stuff. And then you can have 
like a farming district where maybe on the outskirts of your town, you have a lot of open acreage. And so you focus on making sure you have like really solid irrigation and stuff. And then you also have to, your resource pools are not automatically shared and neither are your workers. So you have to specifically set up trade routes between your different districts and you have to uh, set limits so that um, like there's, there's not really any AI to it. You have to say, okay, start sending like, you know, food, potatoes or carrots or whatever to this district, but you can only send like so much per day or per week. And you have to kind of be thinking about this in the back of your head, because if you tell it to, it will like send all of your resources away and the beavers in that district will just die of starvation. So it's really, really complex. That's impressive. Uh, it kind of sounds like this strange hybrid between banished where you have a, a lot of resource management can't expand too quickly type of thing. And then I don't know, have you ever played uh, workers and resources? Um, I have not, no. That's another city builder game that's all about industry. So basically manage who lives where in your little country. And the goal is to become self-sustaining, whether through trading outside of your country's borders and importing labor and whatnot, or actually creating a self-sustaining country. Um, nice. So it sounds kind of like a strange hybrid between the two of those with cute little uh, furry <laughs> animals instead of people. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, pretty much it. So I'm really excited to see where they take it. Um, so far, I've only unlocked kind of the intro faction, which is very focused about making sure you're cultivating an equilibrium with nature and the resources. Uh, but once you progress to a certain point and unlock a, I think it's like a certain amount of, they call it happiness or something, that the faction that your little beavers have, then you can unlock the other one, which they describe as like, this faction went completely the opposite way and they like swore off nature. They're called the Iron Teeth. So they're full on like steampunk, like industry mining, making these big, crazy machines and stuff. So I'm excited to, to try that out. Oh, that sounds fun. Anyway, <laughs> didn't mean to gush about that for so long, but. Oh, no worries. If you find a good game, like it's so easy to talk about it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then as far as actual news, I meant to bring this up last week and forgot. So if you're hearing this on Sunday, it is too late. But um, in most municipalities around the U.S. today, uh, it was the last day to cast your, cast your vote in primary elections. Um, so apologies for missing that. Um, but let this serve as a reminder to see what your local primary results are and uh, take a look at the candidates so that you can be informed for the general election this fall. There you go. Good advice. Um, me being unaffiliated with any of the major parties, I have no primary. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm uh, I'm actually unaffiliated. Also, there's a couple parties that will let you vote. The Democrats will let you vote regardless of who you affiliate with. And uh, I think for me, it was more about a lot of the local nonpartisan stuff. We had a lot of like judges and and other things that were. I know there's been some pretty pretty heated races uh, locally here without going into too much detail. So nice. Well, yeah, go do your civic duty and make sure to vote. If you live in a country that allows it, do it. Yep. Cool. Um, I guess that brings us on to the main topic of running around with uh, ivy wreaths and antlers on our head and uh, reconnecting <laughs> with the earth spirit. Or there you go. Just being mindful in nature. However you want to do it. <laughs> Um, before we start into the main topic, though, I do have to admit, um, I have not read all of the rewilding book, which we'll talk to talk about in the future. I have a couple of stories that I like. Um, I have not read the, what was the other book? Rooted? Rooted, yeah. Um, I have not read Rooted at all. I've just heard about it. And so my, the information I'm going to share is going to be more based on personal experience rather than any scientific studies. So um, just take that with what, however you like it. Um, but I do find there's a lot of healing in being outside. There's a lot of healing that can occur in nature, uh, especially if you open yourself up to it. So that's one of the reasons I was super excited about this topic when we kind of discussed it a couple weeks ago. So I guess that's my long introduction of saying I'm just going to be touchy feely about this one. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, and I didn't, unfortunately didn't have time to prepare a whole lot. Um, but I, luckily have been reading these books uh, with the rewilding last fall and then rooted this spring. Um, and I had several highlights that I had made as I've been working my way through them. So uh, those are going to be my talking points. Excellent. There you go. So I guess uh, we should start by saying what does it mean to get I don't know, in touch with nature or allow nature to be a part of your life and feel its healingness, um, which is a question that I didn't put on the notes. So uh, expect some stammers and some um, uh, mm, from <laughs> both of us. Um, but I, for me, it just being outside creates like a feeling of wholeness it took me a long time to get there i definitely am more comfortable in my home uh you've got more entertainment options more options to be passively engaged with the things around you when you've got tv radio cell phone all of that stuff um but when i really started to feel 
like the the healing benefits of nature is when I started to just sit outside and uh, just listen, just observe. Um, there's a I can't remember what the sources were, but an old Germanic um, thing of just sitting outside that we've talked about in the past, where you where you sit outside and you think about what you a problem that you have and just dwell on it and let let the world speak to you. And so kind of passively doing that by sitting outside and just turning off my brain and just looking at the grass, watching the bugs crawl, uh, listening to the wind in the, in the trees, uh, that type of thing. Like I did realize there was like something more to it. And that's when I really started to seek it out less passively and more actively. So, um, I got into it by sitting outside listening to things, and I guess it kind of turned into meditation in a way. So one of the things I like to do is sit underneath a tree and just think about things. Nice. Um, I So I'm just going to piggyback a little bit. You had shared kind of um, how you started getting into this practice uh, personally in your life and how it was kind of unnatural for you. And I had a kind of a similar experience. Um, when I was younger, I always liked playing outside, but I, I, th- I feel like this is different than just spending time outdoors. Like if you're trying to connect um, with nature or whatever you want to call it, uh, doing any type of, of meditation or mindfulness, it's a little bit more than just, you know, making mud pies and, <laughs> and digging holes in the backyard, which is what I did. But um, I do remember when I was um, 11 years old, I went on a scout camp with the Boy Scouts down to a place in southern Utah called Thunder Ridge Campground. Um, this is down south, kind of in the middle of like lots of other places that you've probably heard of. So it's like North of Zion's, but it's like South of all the cities. It's kind of in between like Bryce Canyon and Cedar city. Um, and it's way up on the mountains, um, up in the, in the, what's called the Dixie national forest. And it's famous for getting a lot of rain, at least as far as Southern Utah is concerned. So, um, I was working on, um, a bunch of merit badges, but specifically there was one called wilderness survival. And I was one of the only ones in my troop that wanted to get the merit badge. So I ended up working on it, um, like doing a lot of it by myself. And one of the requirements was to go out into nature, make a primitive shelter and I think I had to cook a meal with a, like a, a friction fire and then spend the night in the shelter. And excuse me, I remember like, so I went out, I was still like within the boundaries of the, what would be considered the scout camp, but I wasn't like in the, the campground. I was probably a mile or two 
from uh, like the rest of my troop or any leaders or anything. And like pretty young to be doing this kind of thing. Um, I remember that the reason they were okay with it is because my dad was the scout leader. Um, so they were like, okay, whatever. And I remember like making the shelter. I got lucky. There was a pine tree that had fallen over that still had the branches on it. So I just kind of cleared out some space under there. And I remember because it was so wet because it had rained all week, I wasn't able to make a fire. Um, there just, there was nothing that was dry, even like under logs, everything was soaking wet. And so I was sitting there, I was huddled up in my, in my sleeping bag under this tree, trying to stay warm. And I was like, okay, I just, I just have to make it till like sunrise. Then I can go back and I'll be done. I'll get the merit badge. And just as the darkness and the silence set in and just feeling like so alone, <laughs> like there was nobody else in the world. And mine, my mind started to like panic a little bit. And, um, I was like getting really anxious and nervous and starting to like think of worst case scenarios. And, um, so I'm laying there, it's probably midnight, 1am and I hear this, long piercing howl just this eerie wolf howl from like way off in the distance and i'm like was that a wolf that was kind of weird and i don't know it could have been a coyote or something but i was 11 and so then i hear another one from the other direction answering it and so i'm sitting there and i'm hearing like these wolves all around me howling and i remember distinctly having the thought like I should be terrified right now but something about being in nature being forced to like rely on myself and my own abilities and like hearing these wolves howling I just felt like such peace and connection to the land and it's something that I had kind of forgotten about this experience until um, the last few years when I started getting more into this, like rewilding into this rooted mindfulness and recalling that experience and how, like really how grounding and how, for lack of a better word, natural it felt. So that's kind of my first connection to the practice, I guess. Uh, I I love that story. I I especially love the uh, wolf, like howls. And there's a chance the uh, the Mexican wolves are kind of in that area. I don't know if they travel that far north, but there is a chance. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, I. It's so funny. Um, as you were talking, that it it kind of reminded me. Uh, growing up, I always said that like wolves were the animal that I connected with the most when I was out in nature, like people would get nervous when they'd hear a wolf or a coyote howl. And I always felt like strangely calmed by it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting that your first experience was also with, uh, with a canine type of thing. So just an interesting observation. 
<laughs> so, uh, before we go into rewilding and some of the things, um, I, I thought it would be fun to kind of share some ways that uh, that we that we kind of ground ourselves in nature on when we're out there type of thing. So we both kind of talked about meditation, just sitting and being. You had a story about building a primal tent and staying the night, but when you're by yourself, you kind of have to force yourself to sit and listen. And so I'll count that as meditation. I don't know if you count it. Um, Yeah, I would. But another thing is moving meditation. I love hiking. I love the repetitive nature. And if you're, if you're out there and mindfully walking, uh, listening, listening all around, um, feeling each footstep, not in a, not in a dreadful, like, oh, I hate this type of way, but like <laughs> actually walking and being purposeful in your step, uh, acknowledging where your feet are going to go, acknowledging how the, how the earth feels as it's pushing back against your foot. Um, acknowledging like the sound of the wind, the sound of animals, the sounds of the water babbling, all of that, like actually like fully engrossed in the activity of hiking. I found that, I find that to be so incredibly transformative and just amazing. That's one of my all time favorite things, um, to do. I don't get to do it enough anymore. But even here in the city, I try to do that in uh, little open space trails and just be mindful of my surroundings as I'm going. Yeah, that's hiking is kind of difficult for me to be mindful. I'm always I find that I'm always so focused on my feet and like not tripping over anything (laughs) Um, and just trying to maybe it's because I'm not in the greatest shape, but trying to make it through the hike. Um, I definitely, when I get to like a scenic overlook spot in the hike and can like sit and catch my breath and, you know, shake the rocks out of my shoes, I can find that very uh, um, connecting and very meditative. Um, But yeah, And I guess maybe if I think of just kind of walking outdoors as included in hiking, I can kind of uh, agree with some of what you said. Um, I think it's just for me, whenever I've gone, quote, hiking, it's always been, you know, in like Zions or Arches or some of these crazy uh, desert hikes that are, you know, multiple hours, but anyway no that's fair uh hiking sometimes has the context of of going somewhere with a purpose and it's really hard to be mindful when you have a purpose of having an end goal yeah that's true so so i can understand that for sure um what's one of your favorite ways um um so there's a lot of things i like to do in the outdoors like I, i love to go out and go fishing. Um, I like to go hunting. Um, not going to go into that because I know people are sensitive, but, 
Um, if we're talking about specifically being mindful in the outdoors, though, um, other than just kind of sitting and meditating, for me, uh, photography is something that could be very meditative and mindful because um, as I'm outdoors, I'm either, and I'm specifically if I'm trying to get good pictures, say, for example, of wildlife, I'm either sitting extremely quietly, <laughs> not moving, waiting for an animal to, to come by. Um, and sometimes it takes a long time. So that's plenty of time to sit and, and be mindful. Uh, or if I'm like walking from one, uh, one spot to another with my camera, I'm taking it very slowly, like pausing every, I don't know, 50 feet and like looking around, looking, like looking up in the trees for birds, looking down, see what's on the ground, looking all around. And just, I find that that's that act of like, you know, just being out taking pictures. It really helps me to open up all of my, my senses, like my, like looking everywhere, listening really intently. And that really helps ground me in the moment. I like that. Um, though I don't get as much mindfulness from photography, maybe I'm just too new at it and too occupied with the settings of my camera. Um, I do like the idea of like painting with light. Mm. And that there is something transformative just in the process of photography. Um, I know it's a little lost in the digital age, but I've taken a couple of photography courses where I had to develop my own film and just the, uh, the whole using light three different ways in the process of different chemicals to create something so amazing. There, there's meditation in that. Granted, I find more meditation on the photography thing in a dark room than I do actually outside <laughs> getting the pictures. So I guess we've kind of talked about our favorite things. Uh, let's go into the books. Uh, Rewilding. Uh, one that I've read the first third of. Uh, you finished it last year. Um, basic premise of this book, since I can't talk on the other one, I'll do this one. It's, um, it's somebody who has a very spiritual-based upbringing. Uh, who ended up teaching at a wilderness uh, yoga school and kind of um, used some of his, shared some of his methods and some of his thoughts on how to kind of reconnect with nature as a healing art um, through rewilding. He talks a lot of walking barefoot and sitting um, underneath a tree, uh, and just feeling nature and finding finding a place that you can call your own and like well not call your own but a place that you go to where you can kind of uh, build a connection with the planet he shared a story of um, sitting outside in a meditative uh, thing and a black bear coming up and sniffing him and <laughs> 
um, him talking about just the the calmness. Like he said, even though it was an adrenaline dump, because this giant three hundred pound bear could have easily wiped him from the face of the planet. Like this connection that he felt just by being still and being in his happy place and having that mindset of whatever happens happens um so that was one of the stories that he shared he shared another story about a fox that uh, everybody at the camp that he worked at had kind of seen as another camp counselor type of thing and just how heartbroken they were uh upon seeing it roadkill on the side of the road because they had gotten so used to seeing it while they were outside in nature. And so he shares a lot of techniques and stories about how he can, how he uses nature in his daily spiritual practice to kind of ground himself and be a part of nature and not against nature. Um, so that's kind of a brief-ish overview of him and what rewilding is about. Uh, did I miss anything? Um, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> Cool. So I shared two of my favorite stories uh, from it. Uh, do you have any favorite stories or anything from it? Um, <clears throat> not so much like stories from it. I do have um, a few quotes that I have marked. Um, and if I were to pick a couple. So there was one, I want to say it was one of the earlier chapters. So I think you probably read this one, uh, but he specifically is talking about like this practice of mindful rewilding in like modern society. Um, and maybe modern is the wrong word, but like, like first world society. So the classic kind of office worker, basically what I do <laughs> Um, although yes, technically I work from home currently, I'm still sitting in a single room in an office all day. I'm indoors, staring at a computer screen, dealing with meetings, uh, you know, recirculated artificial air, constant interactions with coworkers, people pinging me on zoom. Um, and so the contrast of being in nature is really refreshing in a lot of ways. Um, even without getting into like the meditative aspect, just that change of scenery and change of pace is, is so beneficial, uh, both mentally and physically. And so he goes into that and then he, he talks about this concept of what they refer to as directed attention and kind of how mindfulness and rewilding is the opposite of that. And so directed attention is kind of what you do like during the day at work all day. It's what society expects of you going to your nine to five. You have to like block out, um, you know, external stimulus and just focus on whatever single task you're working on, whether that's writing a piece of code or compiling a report, whatever it is, it, it translates across multiple industries, right? But just that 
practice and requirement of focusing on a single thing. And it leads to what um, like actual health experts call directed attention fatigue. And it's an actual physiological thing. And so forcing yourself to get outside and um, so he, he talks a lot about the mindfulness aspect of it, which specifically he says is being present in the moment and not trying to like focus on any one thing, just letting your attention wander. Like if a bird flies overhead, you're like, Oh, look at the bird, you know, like just kind of letting the natural world dictate where your attention is drawn. And it has numerous health benefits. Um, Probably the most or one of the most widely recognized these days is just like eye strain and eye fatigue. It's even to the point that most companies will recommend, you know, if you work on a computer, they recommend standing up and like focusing on something far away for five minutes out of every hour that you're at a computer. And so if it's, if it's that much of a problem that your work is telling you to take a break, like really it's, it, we need, we need to get outside more, I guess, than, than we do in our society today. I think you're spot on. I think, I think we totally do. Um, it's kind of funny as you were talking about him, uh, acknowledging thoughts, but not dwelling on them. Uh, I read a book called the joy of happiness by, by one of the monks from the Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And he talked about how thoughts are just thoughts and how there's no such thing as a negative thought or a pleasant thought. It's just a thought. And one of the things that he recommended as you're sitting in meditative practice is to mm-hmm. acknowledge the thought, imagine yourself putting a bubble around it and then popping the bubble uh, and letting the thought float away. And so that like a mental way of training your mind to allow it to run, but not dwell. Mm. And so as you were talking about letting your mind wander, or, or as the author talked about letting the mind wander, like acknowledging the bird, but not dwelling on the bird type of thing. It just reminded me of that Buddhist monk and some of his teachings on meditation. Yeah, I really like that. So, yeah. Um, as far as rewilding goes, um, I think the one downside, or the one thing I didn't enjoy completely about it is it felt a little out there for me sometimes. Like, he opens up talking about going barefoot and letting the earth speak to you through your feet. And that was a little, a little strange for somebody that has never really done that. But by the end of the book or by the end of where I'm at in the book, I really appreciate what he was trying to get people to do. And so that was one thing. If you're going to read this book, check it out from the library, whatnot. Just know that it starts very, um, it's very heavily influenced by Eastern religions and Eastern philosophy. 
which isn't exactly easy for somebody that's been born and raised in a Western philosophy world. Yeah, of of the two and of some of the other ones I've read, this one was definitely out there on the like on the more mystical side. Um, and I don't like I'm you know trying to be sensitive to people's beliefs and stuff, but it uh, it was a little bit too close to that line of like I don't know for lack of a better word pseudoscience I guess. Um, and that's, I mean, everybody's kind of somewhere on that spectrum of where they fit. This one was just a little bit too far at times for me. So there was definitely, definitely a lot of good parts that I took to heart, um, and like made notes about definitely some other parts that I just kind of like let it wash over me and didn't really pay it a lot of heed. Fair. Um, now on to the other book, the one that you're currently reading or have just finished. Uh, currently reading, I am, I want to say like 40% of the way done. So, so still a lot to go and probably we will touch on this book again once, uh, once Adam finishes it and... Once I get a chance to pick it up, I guess. Yeah, this one, like if, if rewilding was a little bit too uh, mystical for me, this one was like, at least so far, again, I've read not quite half of it, but it was like, like dead on <laughs> with what I was looking for. Um, so it might be worth... Um, having me finish it, having you read it, and then doing an episode just dedicated to it, because I feel like there's a lot of really good information in this one, which is weird because it's not as popular as the rewilding one. So, gonna look it up right now and see if I can download it. It, uh, I think it does have an audible version, but I'm not sure how the narration is. Um. But yeah, so just a little bit of background about the book. And if you've listened to the other episodes in the last few weeks, I apologize if I've, if this is a rehash, but um, so the title of the book is Rooted. The, it's subtitled Life at the Crossroads of Science, Nature, and Spirit. Um, and the author is... Um, kind of a she's a considers herself a naturalist and eco philosopher um she doesn't personally have a scientific background but the amount of research and like legwork that she's done in writing this book is is truly impressive like there's a lot of um studies and journals that are quoted you can really tell that she's done her homework on this one um, and I don't know how much of this we want to go through, but there's a couple of things. I don't know. Maybe I'll just 
talk about a few of the points and then you can weigh in because I don't want to just monologue through this. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so a couple of weeks ago for our mindfulness, I shared a quote from it that uh, I think would we could touch again on briefly. And so it says, thanks to a confluence of demographics and technology, we've pivoted further away from nature than any generation before us. At the same time, we're increasingly burdened by chronic ailments made worse by time spent indoors, from myopia and vitamin D deficiency to obesity, depression, loneliness, and anxiety. So I know I talked about that a little bit. Um, what are your, your thoughts just quickly on that? Um, the, the, the ones that I latched onto, um, was anxiety, depression, and loneliness. Um, and just from my own, from my own experiences outside, I know that the more time I spend outside in a mindful way, the less I feel those things. And I don't know if it's being outside, you get more vitamin D, uh, from the sun, from your from your skin turning the sun's rays into vitamin D for your body, which I know helps with anxiety, depression, all of that. Um, or if there is an actual feeling of being connected to the world around you helps you feel like you are a part of something rather than just existing in something. So uh, that's what I latched to on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would agree with that. Uh, moving on, the next one I wanted to run by you, or no, sorry, first before I get to that. Uh, so there's a saying in American English call that people use all the time kith and kin is the phrase. Um, and I kind of just always assumed that that meant like your family and friends. Um, from this book, I learned that that is actually not the case. Uh, kin is, you know, your, your family kith though is, uh, it's a relationship based on like your knowledge of the places where you are. So the landscape around you, like the couple, couple miles in your vicinity and your knowledge of like trees, uh, specific animals, stones, and where you, it's the ability for you just to like feel at home and like know your way around. Like you're walking around the neighborhood and you're like, oh, you know, this tree is the, the oak tree that's on the corner here. And just the ability to recognize those familiar uh, aspects of nature and the landscape. It's intimacy with a place and its landmarks. So that was new to me. I did not realize that that's what Kith meant. And I kind of like it now. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense. Cause like you, I, I thought Kith was like friends or neighbors and kin was your immediate family. I didn't realize that Kith was knowledge of a place. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the next thing that she talks about, uh, there's actually a whole like section of the book devoted to this, um, just kind of the, like the call to adventure and 
there's a kind of a long passage that I shared um, the other week that I'm not going to talk about again. Like I'm not going to read it again. Um, but just that's this like call to go and explore is something that I've felt a lot that I can identify with. And I think you probably can too. And there's a couple other lines that were before what I shared on mindfulness last week that I really liked. Um, there's one where she says, who wants an everyday path paved and void of danger when we can have beasts and shadows and secret flowers and unexpected visits from the feral wolf of our imaginations. And uh, she also quotes another author saying, people who deny the existence of dragons are often eaten by dragons from within. So what um, do you think about that as well as the, what we talked about last week? I don't have much to add on to it uh, past what we did talk about last week. So for those of you that missed last week's um, mindfulness, I'll just rehash it a little bit. Um, yeah, there's always something. Uh, personally, I feel like I'm drawn to adventure. There's a reason why I read stories about adventure. There's a reason why the video games that I tend to play center around adventure the movies i watch center around adventure like there is an excitement about paths unknown and um i really like that those that don't believe in dragons will be eaten by dragons that they correct that by dragons that they create type of thing because it does kind of feel like the more time you spend outside, the more time you spend seeking these things in a natural world, the the more in touch you are with everything. Well, when you don't seek them, your dragon could be anxiety. It could be a fear of the unknown. It could be your dragon can take many shapes and it, without this reconnecting, you're you're a slave to these emotions rather than a a being in control of their own destiny uh and maybe that's not what she was trying to say in that but that was where my head kind of went as you were talking about that yeah, I, I don't remember exactly the point she was making, but I really like the the way that you expanded on it. It's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, so with the uh, this next bit kind of goes back to the rewilding. And it, yeah. Sorry, these these are kind of going to be disjointed and not really segue very well together. But <laughs> uh, you're fine. Um, so there's, I'll just read this. Um, it's ta she's talking here specifically about the practice of rewilding, or she calls it earthing, and going on a like a hike to like like a barefoot hike to reconnect with your your wild self. 
And she says, we enter as pilgrims, as wayfarers, knowing there is something we are seeking, something nameless, beautiful, waiting and wanting, something that will change us so thoroughly that our cozy slippers will no longer fit, that our cat will at first hiss upon our return, our hair tinted green with lichen, sweet root tendrils among our toes. And I just, I think I highlighted this just because I really liked the imagery. <laughs> yeah. It was almost poetic. Um, but I also like kind of what she's saying here that this practice of whether it's rewilding or earthing or, you know, uh, becoming grounded in nature, it's going to, if you choose to kind of pursue this, it's going to change who you are in the way that you see the world. And that's okay. That's what it's there for. Like you're not probably not going to look at things the same. And the, I mean, I know that the the cat hissing was kind of a joke, but um, like, as I've talked to people about this, I have kind of gotten the occasional offhanded remark about, uh, you know, am I turning into a hippie or something? <laughs> I don't know. Part of that might be the beard and the long hair, but <laughs> it, it's okay to not be the same person that you were a year ago. It is. Uh, growth is always good. Um, I always think that like, if we are the same person that we were a year ago, we've had a really boring existence because we really should be striving for growth and so I do like that. And the imagery is amazing. Um, the lichen, the green lichen in the hair, it kind of reminded me of um, the uh, the goddess from Moana after oh, the, yeah. uh, the heart of Nefertiti was uh, returned to her and she turned back into a slumbering island of like peaceful green. Kind of <laughs> had that <laughs> yeah, feeling. I was... I was picturing uh, Bootstrap Bill from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, that's the a good Jones one, too. One. Yeah. So your image was uh, much more peaceful than mine. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean's on everybody's mind right now, so I don't blame you. <laughs> it's true. Um, so next, uh, one thing that I came across that was really cool is so there's kind of this popular practice. I think we've mentioned it even on this episode, but the people in this uh, practice will do, which is like walking around barefoot, uh, going on a barefoot hike. And this was an example of her dedication to like the science of the issue. Um, she, I'm not going to say who it was, but she specifically called out a very popular book that talks about earthing and about how the, um, the ions in the earth are predominantly negative and the ions in our bodies are predominantly positive. And so when you walk barefoot on the earth, that helps like align the charges between you and the earth and keep things in equilibrium. And she basically just called it out and said, yeah, that that's bull crap. Like <laughs> it's, 
that first of all, it's not true. Like, you know, if you know anything about basic chemistry, you know that molecules are balanced as far as charge goes. Uh, and if they're unbalanced, they don't stay that way for long. Um, and two, walking on the earth is not going to change the charge of your, the ions in your feet. So, um, but then she goes on to say, and she does this a lot throughout the book. She'll say like, this is something that people say that is not true, but here's the part of it that is. And in this case, she goes on to talk about um, like the scientifically proven benefits of walking barefoot. Like it uh, increases balance. It um, helps with bunions and other foot issues. It helps with plantar fasciitis. It strengthens tendons. It does all of this stuff. Uh, But she also says, if you're going to do this, like you need to talk with a podiatrist before you do. You can't just be like these um, runners that one day decide they're going to start running barefoot on the concrete and then, you know, end up breaking an ankle. Um, So I just really like the, the way that she looks at kind of the whole picture and um, prevent presents the kind of the uh, common sense approach to it. I, I do like that too. Um, I was on TikTok the other day and I was uh, saw a guy that went barefoot for the last 10 years. He just ditched his shoes and he was showing how his body changed. Um, and I have to tell you, it, it puts a lot of stress on your body, especially if you're used to wearing shoes. So definitely, I agree with her saying, check in with a podiatrist, make sure you're doing it in a healthy way. Um, as somebody that's dealing with ligament damage in my foot right now, like things can happen. Overuse strains, especially when you're using the small balancing muscles that you don't use. So <laughs> I really like that. And I also like that she demystifies, debunks some of the uh, more out there thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, moving on then. Um, she talks a little bit about in the next section um, about wanderlust or just the practice of wandering, which um, you talked a little bit about uh, when we were talking about hiking and how if you have a specific destination, it's kind of hard to just let your mind wander and be mindful. Um, and this, the part that I highlighted here is not about that specifically, but um, it is something worth mentioning. She says, Wanderlust is ever unrequited. Who has the means? Money is not required, nor equipment of any kind. The necessary means are more rare. A spaciousness of mind and an expansiveness of time. So, I that's something that uh, kind of hit home for me. Like, really, being mindful doesn't require a lot. It's not, you don't need any special equipment or anything, but you do need to 
specifically set aside time for it. And sometimes in today's world, that's more difficult than just throwing money at something. For sure. I like that one. And sometimes I need to just remember that it takes sometimes less than a minute of just sitting and being mindful. Uh, you don't have to solve all the world's problems yesterday. You can actually take some time to let the let the world speak to you type of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then, let's see. So jumping kind of to the end of my notes from this book, um, she, one of the other things that I honestly really liked, um, we've talked a lot about our love of the Hobbit and all things Tolkien. And at the end of her chapter on wandering, she pulls out the quote, uh, it's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. So that definitely earned a whole lot of bonus <laughs> points for me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I remember when you texted me that, that quote highlighted in your Kindle. I'm like, yep. Adam just found <laughs> his new favorite uh, author. Yeah. At least for the moment. For the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, that's such a good quote. And I, I, love I love a lot of the Tolkien quotes from The Hobbit just because they are just about losing yourself so I, the fact that she used it wins points on my end as well so yeah. um, anyway so there's some other things that I had highlighted but uh, I think I'll save that for uh, when we talk about the book more in depth. So um, excellent. I had some stuff here about some uh, mindfulness with music. What did you uh, have in mind for that? Um, one of the things that I like about uh, using music as a form of mindfulness, um, I don't know if you or any of our listeners have had a chance to like ever go to a spa and get a massage or something but there is like there's always calming music that kind of helps alleviate tension as you're physically having your body uh taken care of like mentally you you kind of lose yourself in the music type of thing and i know spas use incense and different things uh to kind of bathe your senses um, in a way, but music can be very powerful. Um, I was looking at the notes, uh, I, I've got, uh, I, I'm going to steal one of yours, uh, Wardruna. I do enjoy that. That's one of my hiking ones or walking ones. They're a uh, band out of Norway and they do a lot of primal, um, percussion and, uh, kind of a chanting type of style music. Very good. Um, they tend to come to America quite often on tour. So if you don't know who they are uh, and you live in America, go check out one of their shows and you might fall in love with uh, with their styling. Um, 
I've got a sleeping playlist that I have on my, well, it used to be on my iPod. Now it's on my iPhone, but it is, uh, it's a playlist called Ohm and it's Tibetan, uh, gongs and bells. And it's just, um, different notes hit with the mallet and just letting the sound continue until it stops and then doing it again. And um, there is something that, like, when you meditate and that's on in the background, I feel like I can, my thoughts don't really stick around because the sound kind of washes them out, and I, I appreciate that. So uh, not exactly using music for mindfulness, but using it in conjunction with your mindful practices, I definitely find more primitive percussion and um and simple rhythms uh very helpful in that yeah same uh one band that i really like to listen to when i'm meditating or whatever uh their name is heilung they are out of german germany um uh the word heilung i believe is german for healing I might be wrong, uh, but they're really similar to Wardruna, uh, very primal, lots of drums and chanting. They're um, very heavily like Scandinavian, Norse, ancient Germanic inspired. Um, and if you look up any of their music videos, my uh, my little quip during the opening of this episode uh, describes them very well. So... <laughs> Um, but they, and I don't know if it's, whether it's them or Wardruna, um, but when I started getting into this, I really tended towards like non-English speaking artists or just instrumental. And I don't know if it's because that way I don't focus on the lyrics as much. Um, like some of these songs I've listened to enough now that I, I understand what they're saying. Um, but that's, yeah, similar to when you're out in nature trying not to let any one thing grab your focus. I find that, um, music is the same way if you're trying to use it for mindfulness or meditation, if the less likely you are to grab a hold of something with your mind, the better, um, and along with that, if some of these bands and like drums and chanting is a little bit uh, too mystical for any of our listeners out there, and you're more into like the rock and pop type stuff, there is a genre of music called post-rock, um, post-rock, that would probably be useful for some of these activities. It tends to be... Uh, it's in the rock genre, but they focus on like the textures and the the melodies of the music over like just chords and guitar riffs and stuff. It's a little bit electronic, but not quite. Uh, it's usually instrumental. It has been around since like the mid nineties. Um, there's quite a bit out there. If you just search up post rock on, your music app of choice. I'm sure you'll find uh, 
find plenty there. But on like, if you look for meditation playlists and stuff, I've noticed that a lot of the music on there tends to be um, of this kind. Maybe a little bit more approachable. I like that. I haven't, uh, I haven't come across that genre yet. But um, there's a lot of live music channels on YouTube as well that, uh, that create background noise that I feel like is really good. Um, not necessarily music, but um, sound machines, like uh, listening to a, a babbling brook or any other form of blue noise type of thing, um, or listening to a soundscape, just turning on like something that where somebody left a microphone out in the forest and you're just listening to a bird on loop is very helpful as well for me. Uh, when I can't be outside, bringing the outside indoors is very nice. Yeah, that uh, unlocked a memory. My When I was really young, my dad had a tape that he got for free through some promo in the mail cassette tape that was uh, elk sounds and like babbling brooks. <laughs> and uh, I used to listen to it to go to sleep. I had totally forgotten about that until now. I'm not sure Elk's Bugling is exactly calming for me, <laughs> but I can, I can hear it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have nothing else. Um, well, I, I know this whole episode was, was pretty mindful, um, but I did have a specific one thing that uh, we could, talk about here at the end to kind of wrap it all together. Um, this is technically comes from the rooted book again, uh, but it's a nice way to kind of sum up this topic as well as some of the other stuff we talk on this podcast a lot about. Um, the author is talking about um, in reconnecting with our roots and with nature and in doing so trying to preserve nature, um, save the earth type stuff. And she brings up a point that I really, that really resonated with me. And when she's, so she's talking about this practice of being ego conscious and she says, we know that we are not able to save the earth in one fell swoop or maybe in any swoop at all. Our work here will fall short, uh, but there is no alternative to act. And um, I took that to mean that just because the end goal, and we can apply this to anything, right? Not just to uh, eco-consciousness, but if the end goal of something is difficult or potentially impossible, um, that has no bearing on whether it's a, a worthy or a correct thing to pursue. It doesn't mean it's not a valid reason to try. And um, when I was thinking about this, I realized that's, it's kind of a common theme in a lot of my favorite stories and, and legends and stuff. Um, even looking at, for example, the story of Ragnarok in Norse mythology like everybody knows that um, 
Ragnarok is going to happen, that the gods are going to lose and be destroyed, but they still fight anyway. And I just, there's something about that concept that really gives me hope that the likelihood of success is not tied in any way to uh, whether or not we should pursue something. I really like that. I like, I like the knowledge that sometimes fighting for what's right, even if it's a losing battle is worth fighting just because it's right. Um, as you were talking about that, uh, my mind was wandering a little bit. Uh, I took a history class, uh, Western philosophy uh, kind of thing, and they were talking about kind of like the ecological drain that we're doing as humans. Um, and he had mentioned one of the greatest things that came out of the Abrahamic uh, tradition was when the scriptures told men that they were, when I say men, humans, um, told humans that they were given dominion over everything that walks on the earth and they were the masters of the earth to do with it as they deemed well. Basically taking the spiritual places, uh, Mount Olympus, the, uh, the idea of having these places uh, inhabited by the gods where you must protect them from outside influences from other tribes um, type of thing and making their God portable with dominion over the ground um, and how that was basically the beginning of the end of taking care of the earth. And it, it's just interesting uh, listening to you talk about this woman and her goals of ecology. And I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm not against any religion, but there is like, when you're taught that you have dominion over the earth, you don't feel guilty about putting an oil pump in the middle of a pristine nature location. You don't feel the guilt of smelting steel to create something that you need because you have dominion over it. And it's just kind of an interesting thought of, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but like just, I'm wondering if uh, if we as humans have kind of failed um, the planet, but like uh, like you had said and like she had said, it's worth fighting to counteract what we've done, even if it is a losing battle, because it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B.A. Start. Next week, join us as we bust out the old codes and talk through our favorite adventure games. We'll see you then. See you next week. Mm-hmm.